0: Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at shepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome back to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I hope you guys are all having a great day today. I'm excited to talk to a friend of mine i known him for probably, I don't know, three or four years now. He's been doing great work. He moved up to Ogden, Utah about a year and a half ago. I'll, I'll let him tell that story here in just a minute. This is none other than the man, the myth, the legend. He often, often caused Dan Burkholder, the man, the myth, the legend, but it is actually Eric Kahn. Eric, how's it going, brother?
1: It's going good, Jared. Thank you so much for having me. I don't know how much of a myth or a legend – Probably a lot of uh, embellishments uh, as a hunter over the years. You know, everything gets larger and larger, uh, taller tails, but yeah, it's good to be here with you. Good deal.
0: Well, why don't you go ahead and tell the story real quick about how you ended up in Ogden because you guys had, had been recording and been, you'd been doing the Hardman podcast for a while and you'd recorded some with Brian, but you've been, what, boots on the ground a year? Has it been a year now? Is that is that what it's been?
1: Yeah, about a year and a half uh, that we've been in Ogden. Um, yeah, and really, honestly, Jared, the best place you can meet people uh, is Twitter. Uh, you may not know this, but uh, Twitter is a great place to make friends, and uh, it's also a great place to make enemies. But one of the friends I made was Pastor Dan, and uh, I, at the time, I was sharing a lot of stuff on biblical sexuality, and uh, as you know, a lot of that stuff is very, very popular among the Twitter left, particularly Twitter pre Elon Musk. Uh, so this was like the days when people were still getting, you know, twenty twenty people were still getting kicked off Twitter for almost anything. Right. So I started posting basically just base content on there. And Dan and Brian, I kind of saw these guys on there, you know, like their content. Uh, Dan and I had both worked in the firearms industry. And so we kind of hit it off over that. Of course, started eventually the Wilderness Warrior podcast with him. We were doing that remotely. And then we just sort of had this kind of vision, sort of like what you guys have been doing with Majesty's Men. We were doing with New Christian Impress. And we said, Hey. We would like to see more of this content we kind of have a dream to build a, a media company and work together as pastors um so that they basically said yeah that's great but you have to be in ogden and uh, so we said yeah let's do that let's go to let's go to utah uh started that work and yeah it's been really phenomenal experience getting to know those guys build a gang and uh, build a brotherhood so
0: good deal man It's awesome stuff well, we're going to get to know you a little bit more. I've had you on the show. It's probably been, I don't know, it's been two or three years at this point. So it's it's good to have you back on, but we're going to go ahead and pray, ask yep. the Lord's help. And then we're going to dive into some stuff that you had said that got a little bit of pushback, but like, like your stuff normally does, but we're going to have <laughs> a good time. Let's, let's pray. Awesome. Father, thank you for this time. I ask for blessing. Thank you for brother and Eric and all you're doing in and through him. Thank you for his family. Thank you for the church family and everything that's going on out there. It's just awesome to see you bless the work of their hands. Uh, both their hands and their minds as they're continuing to do work, uh, just uh, pressing into the scriptures and wanting to see you honored and glorified in all of life. And so we thank you. Bless this conversation. I trust you will. Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. So here's the deal. You tweeted this. I don't have the exact date, but you said a while back on Twitter and you made it an Instagram post. A foolish woman tears her own house down. If she is an elder or pastor's wife, how much more will she tear down the whole church or tear the whole church down? Before I ask you to elaborate on this, I'm going to tell a little bit of a a weird story. When I saw that, I immediately went back to the day I started at a church church ago, and I was hired on as the associate pastor. At least that's what the pastor said. He told others that I was the associate or that I was the associate to the pastor or that I was the pastor's assistant. So I was kind of like the Dwight, Dwight Schrute of the church. <laughs> but, um, but then when we were out in public or something, I, he would tell me that I was his associate pastor. And so it was already from the beginning, there was just some signals that it wasn't going to be very good. But my first day on the job, this is one of my biggest pastoral blunders. I walk in and I'm unloading everything and I go uh, into my office and I'm going back out to my truck and I'm I'm just making the rounds. And I go in, I think, man, I, I go to the bathroom and the bathroom at this church had these sensors on it, you know, these light sensors that, you, you know, you're in there for 30 seconds or so and the light goes off. And so I'm in there and I'm having to do my business and and I've, I'm in there for a couple minutes and the light goes off. I'm thinking, oh man, there must be a sensor. What's going on? So I throw a toilet paper over the wall here and think, oh man, uh, that's not coming back on. But you know, it's no big deal. I mean, I'm I'm a, a grown man. I'm in my mid thirties and early thirties at the time. And so, uh, you know, I do my business and go back out and the light and the sensors come on and I go to wash my hands and I look down at my hand and I'm thinking, my gosh, what in the world is that? And somehow or another, like I was a four-year-old, I got poop all over my hand. That's great. <laughs> all right. So, but but not only that, all right, the story, it, it builds, man. It, it like culminates. And so I, I start looking and I'm like, what in the world? And I'm like, what the heck is on my pants? And I look down at my pants and somehow or another, there's poop on my pants.
1: It's <laughs> so, like a toddler. Dude, it's it's unreal.
0: <laughs> I, I have no idea. I still to this day, I don't know how I accomplished this. So I walk out and I, I you know, I go and tell the pastor, I was like, hey, I'm, list- I'm going to have to go home. Uh, immediately because this look what happened. So it's already embarrassing. So that's the funny thing. After that, I get back and the memories of this day just continue to build. I walk in the office when I get back and the secretary who happens to be the pastor's wife begins to talk to me. And this is where I knew things aren't, are, are a little off here. And she told me that this is the house her husband built. Okay. This is he's the meeting pastor the church meaning the church that this is the wow. house her husband built And then she started to tell me about a woman in the church who is a gossip and a complete, in her words, she said she is a biatch. This is how she described this woman. And here I am already, you know, traumatized from what just happened to me. I'd run home and changed and come back. And then this memory. And so this is immediately what I thought of was this woman. And this woman, it proved to be the downfall of the church and continues to experience the ramifications of her behavior, and mm. his inability to keep his wife in line. And so I immediately went back to that moment. So uh, not bringing up any names or, or anything like that in your life. I'm just curious, what, what made you say that tweet? And I'm assuming there's some sort of experience you've had in your life before where you've actually observed this.
1: Yeah, I, I think generally, Jared, one of the things I've noticed being uh, some sort of pastoral office, Uh, at multiple churches, was you kind of have your church structure, uh, which is on paper. Uh, But what I had noticed in all these churches is that a lot of times it could be a deacon's wife, it could be an elder's wife, it could be a pastor's wife. You find that uh, a couple of things, you know, sometimes it's that they actually run the show. So we would have like elder deacon meetings. And as pastor, I would talk to these guys and I would say, okay, here's what I think we need to do, church discipline, whatever and they would all be on board they'd be like yep we agree that's what scripture teaches and then like a day or two would go by and then I, I many times i would actually get a call from one of the church leaders wives and they'd be like oh well now eric you know you just this this is what needs to happen here and you know cuz it turned out that the person be under discipline was like a friend of the wife or what you know mm-hmm. whatever it's right a lot of times it's small town drama um a lot of the elders or deacons end up being like powerful businessmen in town uh, they're also the people who are like supporting the church largely. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, I, starting to realize that we we do have a real problem. I think in the church as a whole with unruly women. Well, fast forward, you know, to the King's hall and stuff that we talk about all the time now, but I think you have this, this thing going on in the church and evangelicalism where women's sins are just not dealt with. And I, I think the day I tweeted this, I was reading, We were so we're talking about all that, and I was reading Proverbs 14. Of course, Proverbs 14.1, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. And I was thinking, you know, that's a problem we have to address with all the men in our church and their wives, is you cannot be a fussy, naggy, brawling, unruly woman, or you're going to tear your house down. But then I thought, man, but what I've seen in, in real life is a lot of times those women go on to be leaders' wives in the church. Mm-hmm. Well, if you te- tear your own house down, how much more are you going to tear the church down? So, yeah, a number of times we've seen that play out. I think a lot of it, too, is um, we, we tend to forget. So, like, I, was, I think of, like, First Timothy 3. One of the things that we're told is that it's not just that, you know, di- diaconal and the elder requirements, but also their wives have to be dignified, right? Their wives can't be slanders. Well, why did Paul give that charge? Well, obviously because if you elevate leadership uh, with the men, you're also elevating to a certain extent, their wives is an example of the church of who who the other wives are to follow. And yeah, just what I've seen over the years is unruly women, uh, pastors, wives, elders' wives, uh, that can be mouthy, rude, um, they're not hospitable. Any one of those things, and it becomes this model for the church, uh, and part of the problem, Brian and Dan talk about this a lot, but you really have a situation with leadership where you're telling your people, I want you to be like these people, mm-hmm. right? So much of what Paul says is imitation, and again, if you have women who are tearing their houses down, you're going to get more of that in the church, which obviously we we don't want to happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I think uh, it's, it's interesting, we're talking about this, I just started a sermon series last week on marriage, and we started with a, a definition of marriage, Genesis 1, uh, quoting from Jesus, going back to Genesis 1. This week, we talked about the fall and what masculine sins to be watching out for, what feminine sins to be watching out for. We actually just addressed this very topic. This week, we're going to be talking to wives and then to husbands the week after. And one of the things that we've identified in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, Genesis, 3, or Genesis 2, we see that Adam was created first, then Eve, and then we jump back to Genesis 1, and we find after the covenant of works is given, after the working and keeping of the garden is handed down to Adam, after he's naming the animals, and then finally the helper that's fit for him is brought to him. Then after that, this creation mandate is given to them after they are created male and female in the image of God. And so this rule and dominion with the husband as the authority doesn't um, ex-nay, the authority and the power that the woman has created in the image of God. And when you said that, I mean, there, there's clear power that a woman has in the same way that a man has power to destroy or to build up. And you see the fruit of that to the positive or the negative from one generation to the next or in a church or in business or in you know the civic realm. A wife likewise has tremendous power to build up or tear down. And clearly that is seen in the in the household, but it's also seen in the church, and it's on repeat over and over and over again in literally almost every single church in America for a very long time now.
1: Yeah, I think that's completely true. I think the other thing to point out is this is one of the reasons I originally started looking into some of the problems with complementarianism, Okay, because these churches would all claim to be complementarian, and I would say, okay, well, you know, on paper, maybe it looks okay. You know, there's, there's a little bit, we, we would still agree in those churches that men should be pastors. Nobody was disagreeing with it. So it wasn't like these were churches where we had official lady pastors, mm-hmm. right? That, that, that's yeah. a whole nother problem. But these are complementarian churches where you can go to the marriage or to the church roles and you're like, well, the woman is running the show though. Mm-hmm. And I can remember a number of conversations with elders where, you know, during COVID there was pushback um, in earlier churches and, you know, an elder had all these problems and we'd talk about it and it turned out he didn't really have any problems. He agreed. And then finally, in one of the conversations, I said, how much of these objections are your wife? And he said, well, all of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I remember saying to him, I was like, well, you know, it became very offensive and heated, but I said, well, you know, brother, you need to deal with your wife. Um, but when that wasn't happening, then -hmm. it becomes a church problem. And then it becomes where it's like divisive to the church. So I think that's the other feel in all of this stuff is that, you know, it, it's this kind of really simple thing uh, of Ephesians 5, headship and submission, mm-hmm. um, rank and hierarchy in the home, right? Simple, but not easy to implement, particularly in a a feminist, egalitarian society, Yeah, that even when we think we're being biblical, like in the complementarian camp, a lot of times we are you know, telling guys things like, well, you know, discipleship toward your wife, right? You have to, there has to be a time where like ladies are getting loud in church meetings and where their husbands are saying, honey, that's enough. Mm -hmm. Like I'll, I'll, you and I can talk about this later, but some of these things ought not to be said publicly. I I think the other one that's very common is just putting a rein on gossip. Um, we had one leader's wife in one of the churches I was at, uh, we were disciplining an elder. And she kept calling me and like, "I need to be in these meetings. I, I know what's going on here. I need to be in the the elder discipline meeting." And in fact, one of them i told I told her explicitly, "You're not allowed to be there. You know, I don't want you there. You're not allowed to be here uh, in this meeting. and And furthermore, like you should not even be involved in this situation. It didn't did not directly involve her. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just a situation where she was like, "No, I know best. Um, she had kind of in her own household, And family played mother hen for so long kind of the matriarchal role and then and then there were several male members of our church who were related to her and i told him i said you need to have a talk with her and they were like well we we can't like she runs the show Mm -hmm. i was like well that's not going to happen in the church but yeah unfortunately in a lot of small churches those things kind of went nuclear right Mm -hmm. that was kind of like the beginning of me not being there um Fast forward to now, I would say the other thing we see like at Refuge is the beauty of submissive wives, uh, the beauty of wives who are like, I'll talk to, you know, if it's an elder's wife, I'll talk to my husband at home. I'll let him deal with this. I trust him. He's competent. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to call every woman in the church and ask them what's going on and start, you know, planting seeds of doubt or, you know, well, why are the elders doing this? Like we have a really godly set of pastor's wives who don't do that. Yeah, Uh, who who do trust their husbands to deal with it, and so what does that produce? Well, it produces peace and fruit in the in the church, Mm -hmm. and it also signals to the other ladies, you know, we're we're just not going to tolerate gossip, zero tolerance policy.
0: And it's an interesting thing that godliness can spread quickly. It seems Mm -hmm. like what's going on from afar at Ogden, and at Refuge is some really healthy things that have happened really quickly. You know, you you probably heard it said before. I think literally every seminary professor, pretty much anybody that's trained any pastors, has said, you know, you'll underestimate, you'll overestimate what can be done in a year, and underestimate what can be done in five years or something like that. Yeah, big time. And there's this thing, you know, that I've witnessed where holiness really can spread quickly, and it can be caught rather quickly in a in a in a church, and it's pretty awesome thing when you have godly women. The expectation is godliness. There's not gossip. There are things like you know humility from the ladies. There's um, modesty. There's, I mean, fill in the blank of everything that you want in a godly woman. And there's real strength where these women are, I mean, they're going after it. They're doing a really great job with their children, and they're doing a really great job with their grandchildren. It's just a really beautiful thing that can happen. But, you know, I've noticed this, and I think in probably in complementarian circles, and probably I don't know, this is a made-up statistic in 95% of complementarian churches. Pastors stepping up to preach a sermon on sermon series on marriage or a sermon on marriage. They are stepping into the pulpit nervous because they know that there's three to five women there that are going to hate it, that they're going to be rolling their eyes. They're going to be looking to their left, looking to the right, fidgeting with their Bible, um, very upset, walking out, you know, perturbed. And uh, and so when it comes to combating this and uh, and recognizing this, how do you, you know, if that's the case, and, and by the way, one of your first episodes, I think, was on complementarianism what was the first the title of the first hardman podcast episode it was like yeah
1: yeah i think it was like against complementarianism yeah that's Um, what it was i remember
0: i remember listening to that eric and thinking like man this young buck he he doesn't know what he's talking about i didn't realize i was behind in the conversation i was (laughs) listening and thinking like oh you know this is a nice little podcast here that this guy's doing and then to (laughs) see things grow but okay if that's the case standard run-of-the-mill complementarian Church. Many of the guys that are listening into this are going to be there. How do you make that transition? What is it like? Where, where are the building blocks then to move past some of the fear of a guy that's stepping up into that situation with all these ladies pulling levers? How do you move forward?
1: Yeah, it's it's a great question. I think uh, Pastor Dan and I recently on on a Patreon exclusive for the Hard Men Podcast we were talking about one of the questions we get a lot is just let's start with husbands, right? Is I haven't been leading in a Ephesians five way. There hasn't been a clear structure for hierarchy in the home. i'm I'm not the head of my wife. I'm not acting like it. Um, how do I start? So I think a lot of it is you you know, like anything, you you start slow, you lead by teaching. Um, one of the things I said in that episode though is, if you want your wife to practice submission, you first have to be in submission to Christ and to his word. And so she has to see you submitting to that. So when you think about like 1 Corinthians 11, Christ is the head of man, man is the head of the woman. Well, we're actually the first ones to submit. Mm, and, and we're telling our wife and we're leading her in a way that we say, look, here's my vision for the home. Um, I'm going to, you know, this is this taking dominion mission that I've been put on. Um, but the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to repent to my wife and say, look, I, there's ways in which I haven't submitted myself to the word of Christ And for some guys, maybe it's being lax with church attendance or family worship or, you know, realizing like my kids are not getting a Christian education. So I think the first thing is teaching, right? One of the things that men are supposed to do in the home is is be teachers. And so leading your wife in, you know, I've encouraged people to read books like Reforming Marriage by Doug Wilson, um, Nancy Wilson's books for women, really good. The Fruit of Her Hands, really good stuff to, you know, lead your wife through that. So that she can see these things are in the word of Christ and we want mm-hmm. to be obedient to them. So I think that's kind of the first part is husbands doing that. Um, pastorally, I would tell guys, well, don't go to the pulpit and beat on an issue that you're not also working on implementing in your own home. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously lead your wife first in that. I think secondarily, yes, it's it's teaching from the pulpit. I think being honest about that, look, saying to a church, there's going to be some changes um, and maybe even take a step back. Like you, if you're, if you're, pastoring, you probably need to win your leadership to this as well, um, uh, because they need to be behind you. If you're mm-hmm. rowing in different directions from a leadership team, you're not going to make headway. Yeah. So I think one of the things that helped Dan and Brian in this, uh, they, they had been doing this for years before I got here. So really what you see today at refuge is a fruit of like three to five years of faithfully laboring. There were a lot of people who were pissed. There were a lot of people who left. Um, there were a lot of people who were preached out, but there were also a lot of people who were preached further up and further in. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, fast forward to now, uh, because they were teaching on it, they were modeling it. And then I think the other thing, they were counseling it. So when you think about pastoral ministry, we often think about pulpit ministry, but counseling ministry is so effective too. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, in meetings, uh, we've had counseling meetings where I've sat in or pastored, alongside you know dan and brian since being here and there's a lot of conversations that are just like look you are very disrespectful to your husband and you Mm -hmm. can't do that and let's look at some passages about having a gentle and quiet spirit here's how you can model this in the home Um, and then a lot of it too is also informal we've had a lot of ladies you know come up to my wife and say you know i i understand i need to submit to my husband but it's also really really hard how do i do that and so my wife's giving a lot of practical tips. Well, where you see him leading well, encourage him. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, honestly, my wife is telling ladies, like, you need to stop complaining so much. Um, because I think a lot of ladies, what what we all do, the men will read Ephesians 5, and they're like, my wife needs to submit. And the wife will read Ephesians 5 and be like, well, my husband needs to be a better leader. Mm-hmm. Right? And one of the things I learned early in ministry was, well, the thing is, you need to read your own mail. Yeah, that's good. Right? The men, you need to take to heart the things that God has called you to do. Lead well, you know, nourish and cherish your wife, all those things. And women, you need to be focused on submit. Don't focus on what the other person's obedience is supposed to be. So I think when you start putting those things together, uh, we do have regular, consistent preaching and teaching from the pulpit. Uh, Brian will talk about fussy wives and women. Um, Even with the King's Hall, uh, we recently did an episode on, you know, don't be an OnlyFans woman. How do you not, as fathers, how do you not raise OnlyFans' daughters? Mm-hmm. And and our point with this is, in the church today, this is a function of always addressing men, but not women's sins. Well, we always hammer men for porn use, right? And 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 they need to be hammered. I get it. But we also sometimes forget, I think, in our feminist culture, that industry is fueled by women who are, Being lewd, taking their clothes off, enticing men, using their beauty in a very sinful way. Mm -hmm. So, we just want to make sure that we address both sides of it. And, And the final thing I'll say before I go on too long here is what you, the net effect is that you have women who appreciate. Like, if you talk to most of the women in our church, they appreciate it when their sins are addressed because they understand what the muscle of repentance and confession is. They understand the fruit that is produced when you repent of those sins as a wife. Mm -hmm. And then you you start building your home up and you say, wait a minute, all these things I was doing to try and get control over my husband and be rude and naggy, I was actually just making my marriage and my household horrible, a horrible Mm -hmm. place to be. And now I get to experience the fruit of obedience.
0: Yeah. I think it's critical as pastors and thinking about your elder team to understand that a wife can disqualify her husband from pastoral ministry. And when we're you know, I've got some guys that listen in that don't have elders currently, but have thought through the process of how to develop elders. They're in a classic Southern Baptist church where it's one pastor, they've got, you know, eight deacons, but they don't have any other elders. And it can be easy just to get the, you know, the guy that's the figurehead guy. And a lot of times in churches that are established, the figurehead men of the church, um, aren't in necessarily the most healthy relationship, and yet they may have, uh, you know, they may have been there and been been a deacon for 15 years, but that, you know, the, the classic scene of the his wife really is running the church is going to to be worse if he's an elder or pastor at the church. So even thinking through the fact that wives, if they're not repenting and they're not working that muscle of repentance that you talked about, they can disqualify their husbands from even qualifying from being an elder. So how critical is that? And then what would the process be like for you guys at Ogden when you're looking at pastoral candidates. What are you thinking through? What are you praying through as you're evaluating not just the man, but also the marriage of the man that you're considering his wife as well? What are you, what are you guys looking for?
1: Yeah. So I, I think first of all, the problem is uh, I remember my ordination exam, for example, it was largely modeled after the PCA uh, ordination exam. So it's, you know, you got to turn in a Greek exegetical paper and you got to do a Hebrew exegetical paper and it's all theology based which I'm not diminishing the importance of theology for pastors. That's obviously, you know, the man of God needs to be able and equipped to handle the word of God with reverence and skill. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. You know, take your hermeneutics and your homiletics. That's great. The problem was that ordination exam, like at the very end of the exam, there's like three questions, like, how's your family? How's your kids? Well, when you look at it, it's like, look at the qualifications in scripture though like the primary qualifications for being a qualified man is your wife and your family. Yeah. You know, how do you rule your household? And it's, it's just so overlooked. I think in our day that we look for the theology and we look for all these things. And then I've noticed, we just give guys really a free pass when it comes to, you know, having unruly children, having an unruly brawling wife, it's just not dealt with. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things that we've tried to do is we say, listen, we want to put the weight on household qualifications that the scripture does on the people that we evaluate. So yes, we're teaching theology. Um, we are putting a premium on that, but equally so we're putting a premium on just asking questions, observing guys. Um, how are your kids? Mm-hmm. Are they well-disciplined? Are they unruly? Um, in in our context, if we have unruliness in those areas, we're going to work on it with potential candidates. Um, if even, even with the pastors, it's like, we're continually checking in with each other to make sure we stay qualified. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's the obvious things of sexual sins and, you know, making sure there's no pornography use or there's no temptation on that front. How's your marriage? How's your intimacy with your own wife? But, but then also just you know, yeah, taking real stock of like, is, you know, do we have elders whose wives are submissive to them? Mm-hmm. Um, do they need counseling? Because um, there's some things, many things where you would, you know, you counsel each other and it's not a disqualifying sin, but it could be in 10 years if it's not dealt with today. Yeah. So, so I think a lot of it is just the way that we invest at a discipleship level with these men. I think we're also taking kind of the approach more like When you identify a guy who's a potential for leadership, we're thinking five to seven years, five to seven years of development. A a big factor with that, Jared, is quite honestly that we have so many young people. Mm -hmm. We have so many people in their 20s. And so we're saying, hey, these guys, we want to identify them as potential leaders. Um, and we want to work with them and their wives and their families, but we're looking five, seven years ahead from that time that begins mm-hmm. uh, in the discipleship process. Because the other part of it is – this goes back to something Doug Wilson said. Like if if we raise people in our church, our children, our wives, whatever, we raise a community up, and they're externally obedient to the law, but they don't love it. Mm-hmm. Well, we've created Pharisees. Right. Well, that's not a win. And so for our children and our wives and our men, we want them to love what we love and hate what we hate. Mm-hmm. And so this is why the liturgy, why psalm singing, and why so much of this other stuff, hospitality plays into the formation of our future leaders, because we want them, we want to train their affections to love the right things. Yeah. And so we acknowledge that's going to be a, a long-term thing. But then if you if you take that long-term view, you've now raised up men who are going to be bought into the mission and vision of the church. I think it also ties though to something external. Two problems I saw in small churches. I was in the SBC. We have this way of like bringing in people from the outside, using the corporate model.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: E- even if you have a month long trial period where you're like interview, like people lie, people hide things, you're not going to see everything. Well, if somebody is raised up from the the inside, it's it's kind of hard to hide that long term. And so yeah, I think absolutely. Moving away uh, from the kind of corporate hiring model in the church would be a good thing. And the second thing I would note with small churches, it is so common that we hire pastors or we elect elders out of desperation because there's a lot, you know, you're in a small town. I was pastoring in a town of like 1,200 people. You just don't get many people coming through and you don't have many options And what I would tell guys is it's better not to have a guy promoted too soon or unqualified. He will do more damage than if you just didn't have elders.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Like we we agree on plurality of elders, but we do not agree that we want a plurality of unqualified elders. Mm -hmm. That would be horrible.
0: Yeah. I think many of us have experienced in the past churches that had elders in name only and the damage Mm -hmm. that is caused by elder teams that aren't real elders. And yes. the church I grew up in, it wasn't that they were bad men. It was, in fact, they were pretty godly guys, but they had the role of elder. If you were to go to any of those guys and say, Hey, where are the qualifications for being an elder in the scriptures? I don't know if any one of them could have given me the answer. And yet they were businessmen, they loved their wives, they loved their I mean, they weren't terrible guys. They just weren't elders. And then the damage that caused the church eventually implodes. So I've heard it said, I think Dave Harvey said this. Um, and uh, you know notwithstanding where he is today or what he's doing today, he talked about the strength of the plurality will eventually be the strength of the weakness of the church. And so would you speak to that, whether you agree with that or not, as the elder team goes, so the, so goes the church and, you know, why it is so critical. Um, you know, if, if you place somebody as an elder and they're unhealthy, that we have your, your members are going to want to obey the Lord. And it says, remember your leaders. He, this is Hebrews. I was preaching Hebrews. Remember, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. So that's going to be replicated. So let, let's wrap it up, put a bow on it. Why is it so critical then that we get this right when it comes to elders? What's the consequence downstream of right or wrong elders?
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think fundamentally what, what's going to happen is, whatever your elders are, you're going to replicate in your people. Uh, We talk about this all the time at Refuge. When we set a man before the congregation, we are telling the congregation, whether we like this or not, but this is the reality scripture speaks to. We're telling the young men, we're telling the families, we're telling the other men, the women, we're saying, be like these people. Right? We want you to imitate them. We want you to be just like them. So, that obviously raises a really high standard for what our leaders are going to be. I I think the other thing that is, you know, on the positive side of it here at refuge um, you just had, I think again, years of work for Dan and Brian to solidify what the pastorate has to be. There were many years of like kind of going through candidates or, you know, dealing with men where it's like, you know, you either need to go to a different church or this is not the place for you. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of those things are really difficult as you may guess, but I think the upshot is now after years and years of hard work, sorting those issues out, uh, we still work hard obviously to maintain a high standard, but then it, it it becomes so much easier to replicate. Sort of like after you get out of debt, you know, And you start making good decisions. All the bad decisions spiraled really fast. But now all your good decisions are spiraling a lot faster. And so you'll see that what what it does is it drives away a lot of bad people from the church. Mm -hmm. And we've noticed, especially in the last year, you tend to attract the right kind of people, people who would be submissive to church membership, membership, uh, people who want to be locked in with the vision of the church, uh, way less infighting about the direction. Uh, you know, if you went to our congregation, you were like, Hey, do you know your pastors believe in patriarchy? They'd be like, Yeah, and so do we. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, they they actually told us that in the membership interview. Um, and so yeah, again, I I feel fortunate here because it's a very rare situation. Mm -hmm. We have five, five pastors and where you could look at anyone and you say, I would trust any one of these guys to do any counseling in the church. Any one of them could preach. Any one of them could, you know, if they had to run an elder board, um, that is going to have tremendous long-term effects for mm-hmm. for the people. Hey, Amen.
0: It's awesome stuff. Well, I appreciate it. Before we do wrap things up, I do want to ask you as we switch gears a little bit. I have an interview with Matt Reynolds that's going to be coming out this week, and I've been following your weightlifting journey over the last how yes. however long it's been. I think is your deadlift now above three hundred? Is that what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. So I, I started, I was at like 180 uh, because I, 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 like many dudes. I was like, yeah, I just, I live in the curl rack and, uh, you know, upper body is kind of fun. But Matt was like, yeah, he was like, you're, you have a hard man podcast. You can't be like this weak, soft guy. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) so I was like, yeah, I'll do this. You know, I'll do the training. I think I started last year, uh, maybe December. So maybe, you know, close to six months into it i think the last my deadlift the last one i did was three forty uh well one by three awesome. and then squat is like three thirty five one by three uh and then yesterday i did uh i did bench press one by three at two fifty five okay so yeah matt is the real deal uh for anybody who questions that uh you just go hit the gym with matt i, I do have to say <laughs> this it was funny the other day i matt was making me do bench press and i think i was at like Three sets of five at two two thirty-five or two forty and uh on bench, yeah, on bench press. And so I was like, man, this is killing me. And Matt's just watching me like go to failure every time, you know. in my mind, I'm like, he just likes it. He's he's a <laughs> punisher. And uh so anyway, he cut back my reps the other day and I I responded to him. I said, I, I refer to him as Matt the Merciful, uh <laughs> because he he will push you, but it's uh, it's really good for men. I think for myself, it's been really good. We we live in a culture where strength is not valued, particularly in the church. Yeah. Um. So yeah, really encouraged by uh by his help on that front.
0: Man, that's cool. I've been encouraged by him as well. I'm actually starting deadlifting tomorrow at oh, a buddy nice. of mine's house tomorrow morning, and I've been hitting the gym at Planet Fitness. So you know, it's Planet Fitness. So hitting the gym at yes. uh, at the the place where you can't grunt or wear not that I would anyways <laughs> the cutoff shirts, but no uh, slamming weights. Right. Right. But it's been fun. I've been enjoying getting stronger. I'm strongest that I've ever been, which is pretty cool. But next uh, at the intensive that's coming up next week, we're actually going to have Atlas stones. We got another strong man that's been putting together uh, uh, Atlas stones have been selling them and he's been training for several years. So uh, him along with Matt and then all of us guys that are going to be trying to lift these massive stones, we're going to have a really good time and hopefully we won't throw our back out or anything.
1: <laughs> yes. But yeah, you know I noticed that he was doing, uh, they were doing like a squat camp. I don't know if you were a part of that, but
0: no, no, I mean, I wouldn't want to put everybody to shame. I, you know how it is, Eric.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, well, gonna... I, had, I had to laugh. I went in uh pastor Brian's office the other day and he was squatting. Uh, but the best part, he has a full size Glock on his hip and he's squatting <laughs> <laughs> with the Glock on. I said, that's honestly that's king energy right there well
0: you know what i'm glad to hear that brian's getting after it because he I, he was over here uh, i don't know about a month and a half ago i didn't say anything to him but you can tell him i said it
1: that he he looked like he could start working out a little bit so <laughs> yeah, that's what we've been told so every day i see him he's like you're never gonna see me like this again you be prepared for the chiseled brian and i was like okay oh
0: that's good that's good stuff yeah, well, but, Tell him,
1: go ahead yeah i was gonna say that's the other upshot of it though it's like one guy starts working out, Matt gets involved, you start watching it. And then it's like, oh man, I need to, I want to do better yeah. on that front. You know, it is contagious. So it's a, uh, it's a good encouraging thing for, for a group of guys.
0: Yeah, that's fun. All right. So for the go for the guys that don't know of you or don't know where to find your stuff, go ahead and tell us where you can find, you know, everything that's going on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to ericcon.com. You find most of my stuff, podcasts, et cetera. Also check out newchristendompress.com. Uh, We've got the King's Hall, a bunch of other podcasts as well, including my own uh, that people can sign up for. And then at Eric underscore C-O-N-N on Twitter. If you're feeling really based and you want to see a lot of leftist hate, you can go uh, check out my Twitter feed.
0: Good deal. Guys, thanks so much for listening in. Please like, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. Leave a rating or review if you've enjoyed the show. And Eric, I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Jared.